Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are glad that you're here with us. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Uh, we'll be in verses 3 through 8 today. And as you're turning there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, uh, we don't really have any announcements this week. Uh, the the main thing is to be praying for our nation. Uh, Tuesday is the election, so I do hope that you exercised uh, your um, your your freedom and the blessing that we have in this nation to vote and to to place people in the position uh, that are the authorities over us. It's a very unique thing that we have, and so my prayer is that you would go vote and that we as a nation. Uh, would get through this. I know there's so much uh, division and tension, and uh, ultimately, uh, we need Jesus to uh, work in the hearts of those uh, in our nation. I mean, it's it's what we ultimately need. And so, we're going to pray this morning uh, for our nation, for our time here in the Word. And so, if you would join me, let's let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in. We are blessed. We, we truly, uh, so many of us, Lord, have no idea what a, what a wonderful country that we live in uh, amongst the nations of, of the world. Um, and so, Father, we pray for our country that is so divided on so many different fronts. We pray that you would bring healing to our nation. We pray that you would uh, do a work in the heart of the citizens of this nation that ultimately people would come to know you as Savior uh, and that their lives would be transformed. We know that this ultimately um, is our only hope. And so, Father, we look to you to do a work in our midst. Uh, We are grateful, Lord, uh, for all that you are doing and have done in our lives. We ask that you would lead us now as we turn our attention to the Scriptures. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. And there we read, <clears throat> For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you that God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And Father, we do uh, look to you now. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what is said here, that you would give us um, the ability to to live out these truths in our life. This is a a very serious subject matter that that really does go against the the flow of our culture. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we look at your word. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so... When I was a kid, one of my high school, so when I was in high school, one of my early jobs, you know, not just sort of jobs that you kind of, odd jobs that you come up with as a kid, but a job where I worked for like a business, was at a movie theater. And during that window, one of the movies that came out, um, I, I can remember, you know, a handful of movies came out during the era that I was 
uh, worked at the movie theater. And so these, these handful of movies, I often would get to know them very well. Um, because in our particular movie theater, there was like one building that had three movies in it. And then across the mall on the other side, there was a building that had one movie theater in it. And so we worked between these two places. And, and often, if you got stuck in the place with one theater, you would get to know that one movie really well. And so I know Dances with Wolves really well. And another movie that came out that I, that I know pretty well now is City Slickers. So that movie always kind of cracked me up. I haven't seen it in a lot of years. I wasn't a Christian back then, so, so I'm not necessarily endorsing it. I do remember enjoying the movie quite a, quite a bit. You know, it's these, these middle-aged men. Uh, they seem like really old at the time when I was, you know, 16, 17. They're probably my age now. They're in their 40s and 50s. And so these, these handful of guys are kind of going through their midlife crisis, and they, they, they fly out somewhere to a ranch in the Midwest to do a, uh, a cattle drive. And so they, they go out there, and one of the, the lead guys' name is Mitch. It's, uh, I think his name is Bill Crystal. Is that his name, Billy Crystal? Or I might have his name wrong. But then the, the guy who I really like was Curly, and he's this old kind of crusty cowboy. And there's one scene where... Uh, Mitch is talking with Curly, and they're uh, they're sitting there, and and Mitch is telling him how he's kind of, you know, got his life into, you know, how it got into this place where it's, you know, he's just not content, and there's all of these problems, and uh, Curly looks at him and says, I, you know, I wrote this down, I wouldn't dug it up, and it says, you city slickers are all alike, you spend fifty weeks. Um, you spend 50 weeks out of your year putting knots in your rope, and you expect to come here in two weeks and to get them out. And so his point that he's making is that the easiest way to get the knots out of your rope is, is not to put them there in the first place. And so today we come across a, a passage where I think Paul is trying to accomplish the, the same thing, that, that this area in our lives, in, in our culture... Uh, our culture goes about promoting a certain way of life, and ultimately what it does over the long run is it creates a whole bunch of problems. And then when these problems come about, they're not really addressed and like the source of them. And so uh, just by way of review, before we get into this subject matter, verses 1 through 2 uh, is sort of the, the broad stroked sort of request um, for the next few weeks. And he says there that he's requesting, he's exhorting them in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that as they received instruction with him, that they would, they would walk in a manner that's pleasing to God, that, that ultimately they would excel all the more, that they would live their lives full speed ahead for God, that they wouldn't uh, let the, the sort of the meat that I mentioned stall out in their life, the temperature, that they would continue to, continue to uh, pursue Christ and to live out uh, their faith in Him. And so now in verses 3 through 8 and then 9 through 10 and 11 through 12, he's going to begin to really open up in, in tangible, meaningful ways of what does this look like? Uh, he's he's going to expand on a subject that 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 quite frankly isn't my uh, favorite to talk about. So it's just me and you through the camera, 
uh, on, I'll have to, when I'm live, I'll have to deal with uh, however many people are here talking with them and, uh, you know, face to face. Some of my, some of my kids are there. And so it, it, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's not something that I, a subject matter that I want to deal with so much, but the reality is, is it's very, uh, very much needed. And the topic is really dealing with sexual purity and and how did God design uh, sex and the purpose and what are the boundaries. And I'm not going to do, you know, it's super trendy to do all of these, um, you know, like we're going to do a 12-week series on sex. I think a lot of churches do that to kind of for the flash in the pan and to to get crowds um, to to come. And so my, my, my plan is to basically to kind of cover just what's in the text before us. And so with that, as we get in there, remember, so verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul gives this gentle request that he is uh, requesting or asking, exhorting them to, to live their lives in a certain way. And then in verse 2, he then gets a little bit more firmer or there's a little bit more authority in what he's saying. It's less of a request and more of a reminder that um, it says that's for you know what the commandments, and that's a military term, that we gave to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, that I had to look to be, I, wanted, I was so scribbled out, I couldn't tell if it was a period or a comma. It's a, it's a period there. And, and so he said, these instructions are coming from the Lord himself. And so when we come to verse 3, what it says there is, for this is the will of God, and this is the age-old question that people are, you know, they seem to be so often on this quest for what is God's will in my life. Uh, so often it, it, it deals with the, uh, the issue of uh, marriage, work, where to live, what am I to, just to do with my life? Um, and so this is something that, that people grapple with. And so now he's going to expand really a lot of this and share in sort of, sort of plain black and white letters, what is God's will uh, for your life? And uh, the, the, Paul is going to answer this in relationship to their, their context of where they live and where they find themselves in Thessalonica and the things that were going on um, that, that we're probably not too familiar with. And so we're going to get into this uncomfortable area. And he starts with the word, your sanctification. Now, this is an important word in this text. So in the five uh, verses that we have here, this word sanctification, it's going to appear three times. It appears here in verse 3, it's going to appear in verse 4, and it's going to appear in verse 7. And so it strikes me when I see a word like this appear um, that many times in a, in a short section, it, it grabs my attention, and it, it should grab your attention too when you're reading through your Bible and you start to see a word just kind of like appear over and over and over again, that you should go, hmm, I think that that word is important. I think that that might be sort of a, a key to understanding the, the context. And so this word sanctification, it's a, it's a variation of a Greek word that we also translate as as holiness. If you remember back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verse 13, so just 
really like three verses prior in the immediate context, Paul prays and says, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. And so so there uh, he's praying that God would establish their hearts or strengthen their hearts without blame. And then he uses that word in holiness. Now, it just has sort of a, a different like a different ending on it, but it's this the same sort of concept. And so that your sanctification, you could also translate like your holiness, which is sort of an odd way for us to to think, especially in this this era that we live in, when holiness is not something that is very highly esteemed. And so when I talked about holiness uh, in that in that context, I shared about um, the olive dish that we have, that you have a spot for the olives, then there's a little di- part of the dish where you can put the seeds in it. And it's a, a, a dish that's set apart for a very specific purpose. And so the point of this topic of holiness, back still chapter thir- 3, verse 13 that he's praying that God would establish them, that he would strengthen them, that he would set them apart for, for his purpose. And now when we come into chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, he's, he's praying that, or not praying, he's challenging them, he's exhorting them, he's really confronting them to, to go the distance and to excel all the more and to, to you know, pedal to the metal or is that the saying, pedal to the metal? I think that is the saying, that they would really just to go for it in living for Jesus. And, and so now he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. This word sanctification in theological world or in the scriptures, there's sort of three aspects of this word sanctification that can be sort of confusing. And so the three of them, to, to sort of put it into um, easier to understand terms, there's just think of past, present, and future. So if you're a Christian, and there's some of that kind of breaks down. But so the first one is positional sanctification. Some refer to this as justification. And so this uh, part of sanctification means at that moment when you heard the gospel that Jesus died for you uh, and that he suffered the wrath of, of God for your sins, he stood in the place, your place as a substitute for you, and that he offers you the gift of life. At that moment when you received, when you received the gift, we're told that you were baptized by the Spirit, that you were sealed by the Spirit, and positionally in Christ, it's you're justified. Some have some have said that you could you could understand justification as that when God looks at you, it's just as if you've never sinned. And so, there's probably you know you could probably debate that because you have sinned and you continue to sin. But positionally before God, in Christ, you're saved and you're secure. That's that's positional sanctification. Then there's progressive sanctification, which is what Paul's talking about today. This, this is the idea of um, spiritual growth, that as you have become a Christian, that as you begin to now live your life in Christ, 
the Holy Spirit is within you and he continues to lead you and guide you and his fruit begins to manifest itself in your life, you're going to see changes in how you think and how you behave and how you generally just go about your life, that, that things begin to change. And so this is, this is the understanding of, of sanctification that I think is most common. It's, it's the development of, of your spiritual life. And then finally, there's perfect sanctification, that one day Jesus is going to return and you're going to be with him in the flesh, uh, or you're going to die and you're going to go be with him. And, and sometimes this is referred to as a glorification where... Um, we no longer are in our bodies with sin and and, and sh- the struggle of walking with God, that, that we have our new bodies, we're no longer uh, contaminated with sin, we no longer have the, the pull of our heart to do wrong before God. And so here he says that this is the will of God, um, your sanctification. And he says that is. And so when we see the word that within this section, uh, we see it in verse 3. That is, and then verse four, that each of you, and then verse six, and that no man. And so these are sort of uh, how we would sort of outline today's section. And he says the first one, we get into it, uh, sort of no pull and punches by the Apostle Paul. He says, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so, so right into it, this is when Paul is looking at the instruction the, the first thing he wants to tackle is sexual immorality on the one side or what he wants out of the individuals is sexual purity. Um, he is writing from Corinth, which, which there was a lot of sexual immorality, to Thessalonica, which there was a lot of sexual immorality. Pretty much the whole region of, of Greece, uh, it, was, it was really a, like a bastion of sexual immorality. It was a huge part of uh, the religious experience. There was the, the temples, uh, Aphrodite's, and and the other one. I'm blanking on the name right now. But sort of uh, an an act of worship with them was to participate in sexual relations with the priestess. And so they had taken uh, something that God created, sex, and then they had ma- manipulated it, really for destruction and and and. And bad things were were ha- it was just so everywhere in their culture. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce kind of talks about it from a from a male perspective during that era and how widespread sexual immorality was. They were so detached from the scriptures and what God sort of expected. And so he says this: a man might have a mistress who could provide him also with intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it very easy for him to have a concubine, while casual gratification was readily available from a harlot. The function of the wife was to manage his household and to be the mother of uh, his legitimate children and heirs. And, and so this was just widespread. Um, and it's easy to condemn their, their culture and to fail and to take in how bad ours is, but the reality is, is if I am to unpack biblical sexuality, like I don't have all of the time in the world to do this, nor do I really want to, if I'm honest with you, um, like, but within the scope, as we go about this, we, we see this like really everywhere. And if I was to fully talk about um, the biblical teaching 
and our position on uh, sexuality within the church based on what the Scripture says, um, it would be very offensive to our culture. I would be labeled or am labeled um, that I'm bigoted, old-fashioned, prejudiced, narrow-minded. The the list could go on and on. Um, Like, the reality is, is the Bible does go against our culture, and our culture, because we're sort of, I think, exposed to it, um, we're desensitized to, to really how sexually oriented our whole um, society is. Really, anything goes in large part. Um, and so this is, this is difficult, especially as it relates to how we, re- we relate to those who disagree on these issues. Um, and, and so it's one of these things that we just need a lot of like wisdom and discernment to stay firm with what we believe that God has revealed because it's pretty black and white, and then how we interact with those that don't agree. It's, it's tough. Um, Romans 1, 24 through 25 says this, Therefore, God gave them to vile impurity and the lust of their hearts, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshiped and served the creator, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And I, I read this because as, of, uh, as Paul writes to the Romans and uh, the sexual, um, just the, the sexual immorality begins to just go and go and go, what Paul writes to the church in Rome is that God gave them over. So those that didn't respond to God, God just let them go, and he let them run into their sexual immorality, their wickedness, the things that they were doing, and he was going to allow for um, natural consequences. And so the the point is that this section that we read in verses 3 through 8, it isn't to the culture around us. It's not to the, the world. It's not for us to try to legislate morality. There's a word that's a key word, and the word is you. It says that is that you abstain from sexual morality. And so this isn't necessarily for us to go out to preach to the world. God has turned them over and let them go. Um, There's sort of a lesson for us in that. Um, they don't know God, they don't want to know God, they've run away with God. If we begin to ex- interact with them, our, our message should be about that Christ is crucified for them, that Christ, Jesus loves them. But this message is to me, it's to you, and as a follower of Christ, uh, I need to take this, I need to abstain from sexual immorality. It's not for me to try to legislate uh, to others. And so... Um, On sexual immorality, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, Christians are to avoid and abstain from any and every form of sexual practice that lies outside the circle of God's revealed will, namely adultery, premarital and extramarital intercourse, homosexuality, and other perversions. The word pornalia uh, pornea, excuse me, translated sexual immorality, is a broad one 
that includes all of these practices. So as he talks about sexual immorality, he says we are to abstain from. This is a clean break. This means that if there's inappropriate relationships, whether you're married or unmarried, that you're to, you're to cut them off. Whether their media is causing you to stumble, you need to cut it off. Whether there's magazines, like whatever it is in your world that is causing you to stumble in this area, you need to cut it off. And it's the, the access. I feel like the world that we live in from smartphones to computers, like everything is just like at your fingertips, there's a whole world of destruction that you have access to. And so for you individually, for parents trying to protect their children, uh, it's, it's difficult. But we are instructed as followers of Christ that we are to abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, we get our second that. And here it says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so right away, what I, what I see here is, again, there's the word you, again, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel. So Gunner is responsible for Gunner's vessel, my body. You're responsible for your body. And if you're a follower of Christ, my assumption is that if you're watching, you're a follower of Christ or that you're, you're, you know, you're auditing Christianity. But the issue is that each of us needs to know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. Remember that word holiness, set apart for God. Um, uh, God desires you to control your body Sexually, he desires you to control your body in all things, from your speech to what you think to what to, to how you act and interact with other people. Like in every way, God wants you to have control of your body. In today's context, the context is sexual immorality, and so God desires us to to discipline ourselves sexually speaking. Um, I don't feel like I want to unpack this, or that I need to unpack this. I think that you should be able to understand with what I'm saying. I do think that. For the single people to say, oh, it's easy for you to say you're married. But the reality is, is uh, there's just as many temptations in, in the, the married life as there is in the single life. And I do think for the single people that, uh, you know, when I think of like the younger population, our world has so delayed marriage and sort of like drawn it out. So you're kind of fighting against what God has given you, these desires within his boundaries. And so for the young person, like I, I know that particularly like talking to young ladies that are interested in guys, that like, that like I want my daughters to be able to see a young man that is able to discipline his own body and to maintain his purity and not to get into stupid compromising uh, positions because he can't control himself, because the, the, the young adult that can't control themselves in their singleness, they're not going to be able to contain themselves or to control themselves in their marriedness. And so as a married man, you want, I want my wife and my wife wants me to be a person who is disciplined and that I have my body control because there's going to be all kinds of temptations out there. He goes on to say... Uh, your own body coupled with sanctification 
and honor. And so this is a crazy thought that, that we're instructed to have control of our bodies and, and holiness being set apart for him. And so when we're talking about being set apart in holiness in relation to sexual purity, that that means in that aspect of our life that we are honoring God, which the boundaries are very clear. It's within the context of marriage. And marriage isn't engaged. Marriage isn't dating to like that I'm, oh, this is the person I'm going to get married to. So it's okay for me to do this. No, the Bible is clear. You're, you're either married or you're not married. And how, and if you're married, then your sexuality, everything is within the bounds of, of marriage between one man and one woman. That's what the Bible says clearly and plainly. And then it talks about the, to honor him within the subject. And I, I heard a, a story about a group of boys that were out, they were doing something wrong, and one of the boys wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't doing it, and the other boy started teasing him, like, "Hey, you afraid of your dad or something?" And and we're kind of like, you know, trying to egg him on to get him to do the wrong thing. And the boy says, "No, I'm not afraid of my dad. I'm afraid of what this behavior would do to my dad's name, and I don't want to hurt my dad by these actions." And I, and I think that that carries us sort of that, this carries us sort of the, the implication of what, what's happening here is that we need to possess our own vessel in sanctification and honor so that we would honor God with, with our sexuality, that we wouldn't be shameful to him, that we would be pleasing to him in this area. He goes on to say sort of in the negative sense, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so it's super important. I'm going to say this continually. This context isn't about them. It's not about the world. It's about you. It's about me. We're talking about me. We're talking about you and, and how we live our lives in this area that, that, that our, our desires are harnessed in a way that is, that is pleasing to God. It's for those of us who know God. Ultimately, this isn't to be like a buzzkill. This isn't because God doesn't like you. This is because, because God loves you. He's created sex. He's designed it to be beautiful and wonderful within the context of, of marriage between one man and one woman and within the bounds of that committed covenantal relationship. It's a wonderful thing. Anything outside of that it really leads to a lot of like hurt and, and, and scars. He goes on to say in verse 6, we get our third that, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all things. And so let's, let's think about what's being said here. So we have the three that's. This is the number three. Uh, for this is the will of God, verse three, that your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So number one, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's, the, that's just the facts. That's the, <laughs> there's no room, cold cut, no room for sexual immorality. Very broad term idea. It, it's, a, it's a net that encompasses just about everything uh, sexually impure. Verse four the second that 
that you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, that, that you would be in control of your body, that your desires, that your, your, the lust, the things that you have within you, that you would harness them and really use these God-given desires exclusively within the umbrella that he is, has, has created between a man and woman who are in a covenantal relationship called marriage for life. Now, number three, verse six, and that, so it goes from you to now let's think about the other person. That no man transgresses and defrauds his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all of these things. So to act inappropriately to another person sexually outside of the, the, the boundaries of the pres- that are prescribed within Scripture is to defraud and transgress that person. It's not love. It's selfishness. We, you know, one of the taglines in our culture today is, you know, love wins. And so love, love, love is fickle in our culture. Love means, oh, there's two consenting adults for a moment. Uh, there's, no, there's no lasting anything. Love is so defined in so many different ways, and it really is about selfishness. It's about instant gratification. It's, it's about passion. It's not at all honoring God. When we come to the scriptures for how, you, how people are to interact um, amongst each other outside of the bond of marriage, what's always stood out to me is Paul to young Timothy as he's giving him instruction going to this church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 through 2, namely as it relates to women from the perspective of Timothy. So there's young Timothy, and he says, as you relate to older women, and there's no definition, so I don't know if it's like a week old, a couple days old, like whatever it is, older women as mothers, and to younger women as sisters in all purity. So all of the relationships that you have, they should be pure. When you, when you find somebody that you like, and then you ultimately get married, then, like, then all of your affection uh, sexually is for that one person and everybody else it's you treat them like your mom and your little sister and you don't cross these lines and ultimately he says the lord will hold each accountable the avenger in all of these things in hebrews 13:4 we read marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for god will judge the sexually immoral, and the adulterers. So there's some really harsh words. We're told, you know, I read it already in Romans chapter 1, that God has uh, given them over to the lust of their own heart. He's allowed them to run wild. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a judgment day and there's not going to be an accounting for how they've lived their lives. Our culture is in serious defiance against God and how we go about. All you have to do is go to the mall, go to look at the... TV commercials, um, sexually inappropriate things are all around us. And it's, it's a lure, and it's, it's just we, we're so far down the road on this that, that to correct ourselves and to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God in this is very difficult, and it was for them as well. He goes on to say, just as we told you before, and solemnly warned you, This isn't new information that Paul is giving. He's reiterating information that he has already given to them. And when he gave it to them before, it was a 
a solemn warning. Like I'm serious in how I'm communicating this. Like I tend to like to like to laugh and joke around. But this is an area that uh, so much damage and destruction has been going on in our, in our society. So much of when we look at the political landscape in these, these inner cities, I think of Ben Carson. I think that's his name. That he ran for president. He's a surgeon, and you know he talks about the inner surge, like the inner city, and that just the absence of fathers, and that the 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 core of the family unit isn't there. And it and we see this now. It's been like generations and generations, especially I think since the '60s with the sexual revolution of like you know, everything being free and about consent and just whatever whatever you want flies. We're seeing like serious ramifications in these communities and it's serious. It's not something to be joked about. It's not something I like, like talking about. Verse seven, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. God has not called you to live your lives in this way. If you're single and you and you have, which my assumption is that single people have sexual drive and longings, what he's calling you to do is to use that within the boundaries to to find a spouse and to to, to enjoy your spouse and to live within the the context that he's. Get. It's the most fulfilling route. He's not called us for the purpose of impurity. But in sanctification, here's that word again for the third time. He has called us for holiness to be set apart for him. And to to couple that word with sexual sanctification, sexual holiness, that he has set apart your sexuality for a specific purpose within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. This is God's design, and within God's design, it's a beautiful thing. And he goes on to say, verse eight, like I can already, I can already sense and feel, like as like as I'm, as I'm talking now, I'm just like scrolling through. I'm like, oh man, I'm, you know, this is out on the internet, and people are gonna can see this, and there are a whole lot of people I know that disagree with everything I'm saying. Like I said, this could be high, this is highly offensive in our in our culture, and. And I'm thinking about those that don't live this way, and it's like, oh, I, you're gonna say, oh, Gunner's just you know a hater, and he's you know bigot, closed-minded, narrow mind, or narrow-minded, and just old-fashioned in his approach. And I think that Paul was probably feeling or sensing the same thing because look in verse eight, he says, "So he who rejects this, many in our culture will reject this. The majority in our culture reject this." Christians are definitely like in the minority. We do not live in like a, a Christian country any longer. There, might, there are Christians here. We might have some historical ties to Christianity, but in day-to-day life, like the, 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 the moral ethic that, that was founded in the Judeo-Christian worldview are just not there. He says, so he who rejects us, which I think is the, the majority of our population, is not rejecting man. Paul's like, you're not rejecting what I'm saying. You're rejecting God, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And I, and I do think that this is important. Again, it's within the context of Christianity, within those who are following after Christ. This isn't for the world. They've abandoned God. They're doing their own thing. That's, that's, 
their decision to make, and God has given them that freedom to go, and there will be judgment. They will be held accountable. Each one of us will be. But in this context, he's speaking to those that have given their lives to Christ. And so for Christians who have given their lives to Christ, for you to reject this teaching is to reject God who has given his Holy Spirit to you. After you've believed, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And I think that this is the thing that as a Christian, early in my Christian life, as I became a Christian and I continued to sort of waffle between two worlds, that when I was sinning and walking in the flesh, I just had conviction and guilt unlike I'd ever experienced before. And I think that that's the Holy Spirit moving within you. So there's no gray area in sexual immorality. God is clear. And God also offers you help and hope within this this area. So looking at this passage, so what? I'm kind of glad that I'm through this, quite frankly. Um, But so what? And I, I I think back to Curly. You know, unfortunately, so many of us, like as a pastor, as I uh, I'm able to minister and care for people of like all different ages to the young people. I see the tensions that they go through. I remember being single. I remember longing for a wife. I remember the struggle of sexual purity. But then I also have the benefit of of ministering to those that are much older. And I can I can meet with those that are in their 80s and 90s and and uh, when there's regrets and remorses and, and knots in their life from decisions that they made when they were younger, that if they could go back and, and not do those things, it would be a benefit to them. And so I, I recognize that the audience that I'm speaking to probably um, has more mistakes in this area than successes. And so if you have failed and struggle in this area of sexual purity, the first thing I want you to know and to embrace is that God is a loving God. God is a forgiving God. Many people who I've talked to in this area, one of the subjects that comes up often is those who have had an abortion and the sting and the regret and the remorse and the sorrow that they experience for having an abortion lingers with them for decades and decades and decades, and they think, how in the world could God forgive me for doing that? God is a loving God. God is a caring God. God is a compassionate God. And so whatever sexual impurity you have in your past, I want you to know that God is there to forgive you. If you haven't received him as Savior, he has offered the gift to you. If you've received him as your Savior, know that you have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, that your sin of the past has been placed on him, and he's exchanged his righteousness for your unrighteousness. And you stand positionally sanctified before God in Christ. This isn't about your past. This is about your present and moving forward with him. If you're struggling in this area of sexual purity, um, know that God has created sexual sexuality and he wants you to enjoy this, uh, this component of your life within the boundaries that he's created. He wants you to experience sexual joy and, and enjoyment and, and, and that, that, is, that is experienced within the context of marriage. 
um, to the single, I would encourage you to make a, a, a vow to God about your future spouse uh, that you would remain pure until, that, until you have like a wedding ring on. When you have made that covenant with the individual, that, that, that then you're, you're pure, you're still pure, but you can experience and uh, walk down the road of your sexuality and, and this uh, gift that God has given us in marriage. To the married, I'd encourage you to remain pure and faithful to your spouse that you would cultivate a loving relationship and that you would be able to, to fully um, just experience what God has created for the context of marriage. Um, I pray that you would be able to, um, to, to, to develop the, your relationship so that this area, the tide would rise and that you would be able to experience true joy. Ultimately, what my prayer is for us as as Christians at Grace Point Church is that we would, you know, kind of you know put the the stake the flag in, in the in the ground, and that we would seek no compromise in this area. That we would be able to truly honor God uh, in our sanctification and our in our in our sexuality, um, and we can know that God. The last thing that we read here, God has given us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us. And we have him uh, to lead us and, and to guide us. I'm running out of time, but I wanted to end with first uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And over in Ephesians chapter 5, the first 10 verses to really, um, you might, I just encourage you to read it on your own. In Ephesians chapter 5, he talks a lot about a lot of this stuff. Verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed not even be named among you as proper among the saints. He goes on to say, um, uh, where he goes on to say, uh, somewhere okay, uh, that your formerly darkness was in here, and then when you get down to verse ten, verse eight says you were formerly darkness, but now you are children. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then he says in verse ten, such encouraging. He says trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This isn't going to come overnight. And my prayer is that you would commit yourselves to consecrate yourselves to God and that you would go day by day trying to live for Him just a little bit more each day. And it will only happen by His Spirit. With that, let's pray. Father, we do thank You and praise You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You um, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that You have given to each of us to work in us and through us to the, in this, this progressive sanctification that we would become more and more like Christ in our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us in the area of sexual purity. There are so many different people at so many different stages of their lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would um, cleanse us in our thoughts, in our actions, um, and Lord, help us just to honor you in this way in all things. We pray that this is, would be a church where we truly honor the marriage bed and that we would lift up marriage and that we would be uh, a place where marriages could be strengthened, where young people could be equipped uh, to be good husbands and wives. We pray um, just for our families. And again, Lord, we do pray for our nation, Lord, that is so far from you. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.
Well, have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you when I can see you. Uh, we are meeting live out on the patio. We have good weather today and, and uh, in the foreseeable future. So hopefully we see you soon. I do appreciate all the notes. Keep me connected with how you're doing and who's watching. It's an encouragement to me. Uh, God bless you, and I will see you all uh, next week.